COVID. Just want to say, like, we should never take for granted how good that time of worship was this morning. You know, we, we come to church every week and we have these times where we're singing and we're worshiping, but like, what God does in our midst here, it's like it's special. It's special. We got to the end of that last song and we literally didn't know what to do because it was just the presence of God who was in the room. And I'm like, if I start talking, I'm going to say something wrong, <laughs> you know? So I just, you know, I just wanted to say, don't underestimate what God does in those moments. He's healing. He's speaking it in our lives. He's drawn us towards himself. And these are precious moments. And, um, we get to engage. We get to engage in that, and I, and I, you know, and I say this a lot. But our band, our worship team, really, they practice hard. They set their hearts before God, and we get the overflow of what they're doing in their lives through the week. So we want to honour these guys for doing that because what we receive here in worship is not ordinary. It's not ordinary. It's incredible the way that God just His presence just comes into the room week after week, week after week. So yeah, we agree with that. Good, good. And I want to talk about something else this week that sometimes I think we can be guilty of taking for granted. I know I, I can. I want to talk about um, what we call communion, uh, also known as the Lord's Supper. Other church denominations or movements might call it the Eucharist. Um, when I, the church I was brought up in, we called it the breaking of bread. But it's this thing of taking bread and wine, yeah, to remember Jesus' death. And um, I just want to set it into its context in the scriptures. Because for us, it's a, a thing that we do as a kind of normal practice. And all church denominations, really any, any church that, that declares Jesus Christ as their God, would partake in communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, breaking of bread, whatever we call it. We do this thing with bread and, and wine slash juice. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of give us a, a, a kind of focus on that, but I want us to kind of put it into the context of how the Bible talks about it. Because for us, as I say, it's, it's something that's kind of normal, it's something we'd be expected to do. But as we lead up to this moment where Jesus gathers all his disciples for this um, final meal before he goes for his trial and crucifixion, remember the context of the lives that they, or the, or the the life that the disciples have lived with Jesus for the previous three years. They've gone through three years of observing, learning, questioning, seeing signs and wonders, miracles, healings, debates, arguments, conflict, mistakes, redemption. They've seen acts of incredible love and generosity. They've also seen acts of incredible violence and resistance to the message that Jesus preached. They, they lived a three years with Jesus that was extraordinary, things that they couldn't understand. And even at this point, three years later, they, they gather with Jesus for what we know as the Last Supper, and it's still clear that they don't understand maybe most of what they've saw Jesus do and what, what he taught them. They, in, in the Gospels, we have 38 recorded miracles Right? So, so we know that the disciples have seen some extraordinary things. Just, just some of the things they've seen, I've got the whole list here, but I'll just give you a few. They've seen water turned into wine. They've seen Jesus heal a leper. They've seen the, 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 the paralytic guy, you know, taking the roof off and the guy goes through the roof. 
Uh, they saw Jesus walk in water and calm a storm. Um, he saw, they saw Jesus heal a deaf and mute man. They saw uh, 5,000 plus people fully fed to their full with five loaves and two fishes. And then one of the last miracles we saw was, was uh, Jesus replace an ear back onto a soldier that Peter cut off. If you think about these things, this is an extraordinary catalogue of events that these guys have gone through. And they're three years into this, all leading towards Jesus' death. But they don't really know that, but Jesus does, that all these events are leading towards his death. And then we arrive at this place known as the Last Supper. And we read about it in Luke, well, we read about it in all the Gospels, but I'm going to read it from uh, Luke. And Luke 22, it says this, so when the time came, so this is the time that, when it says the time came, this is Jesus knowing that this is the time that he's going to be tried and executed for being the Son of God and declaring that he's the Messiah. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. By the way, that word thanks is Eucharisto. So that's where we get the, the phrase the Eucharist, which actually means giving thanks or thanksgiving. So it's a place of thanks. So Jesus gives thanks for it. And he said to the disciples, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Again, Eucharisto, he's given thanks to God. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I want you to just don't forget the word remember. You can't, you can't forget remember, right? right? Think about it. It doesn't make sense. So just do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the, another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The thing that I find interesting about these things that Jesus said about the bread and the wine, Jesus is talking about his body being broken and his blood being poured in the past tense, but he hasn't been crucified yet. So it's like he's almost like it's almost like prophetic what he's saying here that the remembrance that you're going to do is something that is going to go into the future. It's something that you're going to take forward. And I'm not sure, I'm pretty convinced that the disciples really didn't understand what it was he was showing them or demonstrating to them. Because when we look at the context of this, they're sitting around this table, they're having a meal, there'll be conversation going around, and there was many other things said and done apart from the, the communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. There was a lot going on. Because also in this conversation, Jesus goes on to reveal to the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. So it goes on. He just says what I've just said there. And then he says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. And you're like, all oh, right. So we've got this significant moment of the Lord's Supper, the first breaking of bread and the wine. And then straight away, Jesus is saying, someone's going to betray me. Now, at this point, I think the disciples have forgotten about the bread and the wine because they start to talk about who's, who's going to betray him? Which one of us is that going to be? 
and it actually leads them to an argument about which one of them is the greatest. So they're trying to say, who's the main guy in this group? Who's going to be the leader after Jesus goes? Who's going to be um, the main person? It says that, you know, the, the disciples began to ask each other of them, which would ever do such a thing, i.e. betray Jesus, and they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So immediately, we've got this demonstration of this significant thing that we do on a regular basis to remember Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus said, do this in the remembrance of me, and immediately, they forgot. They're onto something else. Other things take precedent. And then Jesus starts to speak again in the midst of argument, and he says to them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over all their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You've stayed me with me in my trial, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, I don't believe that the disciples really had much idea what Jesus was telling them there. They're in this situation of a meal. There's loads of conversation going on. He does this thing with the bread and the wine, revealing his death and his broken body, his death, his crucifixion, and the blood that was poured, a thing they haven't seen yet. And then they're moving on to, like, someone's going to betray Jesus, and who's the main guy here? And then Jesus goes on to this kind of almost abstract description of what their future is going to be. They must have been, like, head everywhere. And I would suggest that at this point, they have forgotten about the words that Jesus said about the bread and the wine because they've been distracted. I'm really not sure the disciples understood what Jesus was saying but one thing I find interesting here, as they were arguing, when Jesus spoke, their attention was taken away from themselves and they gave their attention to Jesus. Because it says Mark records this as saying that after this conversation had happened, it said they sang a, song, they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. When Jesus speaks, we listen. We listen and the mood changes, the atmosphere changes. This went from a scene of confusion and argument and like shock, you know, about the betrayal and all these different things going on. And when Jesus started to speak, their attention was drawn back to Jesus again. And we need to remember that, like even the, these moments we've had this morning, you know, in our worship, Jesus was speaking. Hopefully, as I'm talking this morning, you will hear Jesus speaking and our attention comes back to him all the things going on in our minds, all the things we're confused about, all the things that we want to talk about, Jesus speaks and our attention is brought back to him. And what I love about this, not only was their attention drawn back to him, they started to sing. They started to sing. They're worshiping. They're giving Jesus his place. And then they left that meal. They left that meal. And then um, there were three days of um, activity that turned the lives of these 12 disciples upside down. And it actually began as they were walking away from the dining room or wherever they were having this last supper. They're walking to a place called the Mount of Olives. And it says this in Mark 14, it says, on the way Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. 
For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and his sheep will scatter. He's another like body blow to the disciples. So he's just given them this kind of prophetic um, picture of their future, saying that they're going to be, you know, major figures in the kingdom of God, that they're going to sit at the kingdom, at the table in his kingdom and eat with him again. And then he says, by the way, guys, I just want you to know you're all going to desert me. I mean, more confusion, more what is going on here, I'm sure, from the, the disciples. And, and Jesus goes uh, to go to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus goes to a, a, an olive grove or a garden called Gethsemane. And it says this in Mark 14, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I'm like, wow, this is Jesus opening up his heart and his brokenness to his friends. And he takes Peter, James, and John with him to kind of keep an eye on him or to make sure the guards don't come. Because at this point, he's going there knowing that the guards um, are going to come and take him away uh, for his trial. So he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And um, interestingly, this is the same three that Jesus took to when he, we had this event called the Transfiguration, where they, walk, they go up a mountain and they appear, it's a, a Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus. It's this out of world, almost out of body experience up on a mountain. So here's Peter, James, and John. They've had this like supernatural experience of Jesus before. And I was, as I read that, I'm, I, I, every time I read that, I think, oh, I hope these guys thought this is going to be another major, incredible uh, experience of Jesus. But they go with him, Jesus shares his grief, and they're supposed to be looking after him, keeping a watch out for the guards, but they kept falling asleep. So Jesus would go and pray, and then he'd come back to check up on Peter, James, and John, and it says they were sleeping. And he's like, guys, I need you to stay awake. I've asked you to stay awake. You know, can you just not go to sleep? And he goes away and prays again. He comes back, the guys are sleeping. So he goes away, prays again, he comes back, and, they, and, they're, and they're, they're still sleeping. And we have this kind of end, this is coming to the end of Jesus' life, that they're aware of that, and then they're still, they're, they're not fully aware of the significance of what's happening. They're just kind of going along with the flow, so much so that they just fall asleep three times while Jesus is in this incredibly broken and significant moment. And then it says this in Luke 22, even as Jesus said this about them falling asleep, a crowd approached led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples, and Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? Well, brought swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. And Jesus said, right, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed them. We've gone here from Peter, James, and John sleeping to full-on action. Right? They think they're going to, listen, don't worry, Jesus. I know we fell asleep, but we're here now. Everything's good. We've brought the swords. We've brought the swords. And they start getting a bit kind of crazy with the sword action. And it's Peter that slashes off the, the, the guy's ear. And I have, I have this picture of Jesus seeing this happen. And 
he's, he's saying like, he's like, guys, I've had enough, no more of this. And I almost have this picture that Jesus is telling them, right, guys, you need to calm down. This is not how we do it. And in amongst the conversation, he just kind of picks the guys up here and says, guys, you need to stop doing this. You know, and, and, then, and then the soldier's ears healed. Like, you know, it's kind of matter of fact. But it's just this action-packed um, sort of few hours, you know, after, after the, the, the Lord's Supper. And here we are in this moment that the these few hours after the Lord's Supper, after the Last Supper, we've experienced, or the disciples have experienced violence, betrayal, drama, and miraculous healing. Never a dull moment when you're a disciple of Jesus. And then Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the religious council. He finds them guilty of claiming to be the Messiah. And the disciples desert Jesus, just as he said they would. So they're scattered because they're in fear of their life. And then the religious leaders hand Jesus over to the Roman authorities, to Pilate, to be tried under Roman law. Then he's sentenced to death by crucifixion. And then we read that the disciples then appear back on the scene, but mostly kind of secretively. They're at the crucifixion and they witness Jesus being tortured, beaten, spat upon, and eventually they watch him die. All of this action is taking place over three days. And then you can imagine the disciples are distraught. They've lost their their, their teacher, their leader, their Messiah. He's, he's dead, bereaved. And then three days later, Jesus rises again. And the disciples then go into this another set of extraordinary action and experience with Jesus. Luke 24 says this. Um, so, the, so Jesus has, has been um, seen by two men on the road to Emmaus. That's another story. We're not going to get into that today. But they, these two guys, they saw Jesus um, and they went to the disciples and they, they told the disciples, we've seen Jesus. And suddenly as the two guys from the road to Timaeus were telling the disciples about it, Jesus was himself was st- suddenly standing there among them. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. He's calming everything down. He's getting them back to that place of perspective and focus on him. But it says that the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, Jesus asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And he spoke and he showed them his hands and his feet. We know these stories well, but could you imagine the drama around that moment? Could you imagine the shock and awe of seeing Jesus who they'd watched die on a cross and the same person as alive in front of them, speaking to them, showing them all these scars, eating with them. And then Jesus, is, we get to the next point is that Jesus then talks to them about waiting for the Holy Spirit. Like there's another wave of action coming. There's another incredible experience ahead of you. Luke 24, he goes on to say, then he said to them, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and then the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I'm just going to pause here for a second. 
all through the three years that the disciples had with Jesus, he taught them and showed them everything. And right up until that point, even to the point of his death, to the point of seeing him after his resurrection, they were still confused and they didn't understand. Something happened here which says that Jesus opened their mind to the scriptures because we see it after um, during Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes that the, the, the disciples had an understanding and an ability to teach the word of God, to teach the teaching of Jesus in a way that they hadn't been able to do before. And I don't know what Jesus did here to open their minds to understand the scriptures, but can I suggest that we need to go to God and ask him, what is that? What is that? Like, you know, because if Jesus can do that for his disciples, he can do it for us. I had an experience about three years ago at our National Leaders Conference, and as is my usual behavior, I went forward for prayer for reasons I can't even remember. And I had a, a moment, I think I was probably the last person to leave the front. I just got in a kind of zone with God, and I it felt, I, I don't know, I remember just kind of standing, and I just opened myself up to the Holy Spirit. And I knew something significant had happened to me there. There was nothing um, super dramatic about it, other than the fact that I was kind of wobbling about a wee bit. I was told afterwards, I wasn't aware of that. And I was conscious of everything that was kind of going on around me, but God was doing something in me. And after that experience, I realized that God had opened my mind to the scriptures. And I don't mean like I just knew everything, but I had this, like after that moment, I've been able to kind of go to the word of God, read it, and just, I don't know, just have a better understanding of what the Word of God is saying. I can link things up. I can see, all right, that's the direction of travel. That's, that connects to that. That's why there's, and it's just stuff that I'd read and thought I understood was becoming more coherent. And I don't know what God did. I don't know what the Holy Spirit was doing in me or through me in that moment, but I know that Jesus opened my mind to understand the Scriptures. And when I read this sometime later that Jesus had done this for the disciples, I thought, I think I might have experienced that. You see, these aren't just stories for us to read and to go back and say, wasn't it great for the disciples? Everything that Jesus did and Jesus said to the disciples is available for us right now because we are his disciples. We are his disciples. They're the template for how we live and relate to Jesus today. Anyway, he carries on, and he said, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the, the dead on the third day. So this is him telling him that his resurrection is a fulfillment of scripture, of prophecy. And he said, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is Jesus now starting to tell them what's going to happen after he goes back to heaven. There is forgiveness for all who repent, and you are witnesses of all these things. Everything the disciples have been taught by Jesus, everything they'd experienced and witnessed is now being revealed to them. They understood because Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And again, I just want to encourage you, 
everything you have gone through in life, everything that has confused you, everything that you, you think you're on a good track with God and then someone blows you off course or God does things, you see things and it doesn't make sense. I believe that if you ask God that he will reveal to you what all this stuff's about. He will reveal to you why these things happened. He will open your mind to understand the scriptures. And then we go into another amazing moment. Jesus explains to them that before he ascends back to heaven, to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Again, the disciples, I am sure, have no idea what is about to happen to them a few weeks later. They don't know, but they just do what Jesus says. They go, they wait, and they have this expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then Jesus tells them, the time has come for Jesus to go back to heaven. So he's died, he's resurrected. He's revealed himself to the disciples as a resurrected being. And then he's going to go back to heaven. And in Acts 1 verse 9, it's saying, um, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. I don't know how much more these guys can see. Like how much more like supernatural experiences, supernatural observations, like... Jesus is there. He's risen from the dead. That's enough that you could see them alive after he's been dead. And then they watch him go back to heaven in a cloud. I mean, this is like, you get, you get what I'm saying? These, these guys' minds must have been like, what, what more can you do here? My heads, my heads are exploding. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. And two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. And he said, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you to heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. More prophecy. So we know that one day Jesus will return, yeah? We know that, right? He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. We maybe need to tell ourselves that more often. And then the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes after a period of about what was it, about seven weeks? The Holy Spirit comes, Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus had said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's what Jesus tells them before his ascension. Then Acts 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. They had obeyed Jesus. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. More, more new stuff for the disciples. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Every time I say, is there going to be more? There's always more. They're there in this place where people have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and all the crowds there, they're hearing the, 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 the apostles speaking, and they're all hearing it in their own languages. We did a series in Acts two or three years ago, and, and I remember us talking about the fact that this gathering of people, people would be coming from far and wide 
different nations and the people would all, would all speak different languages. And as the disciples are speaking, everybody hears it in their own language. So that's like me speaking today and, and Kayla can hear me speaking in Spanish while you're all listening to me in English. Imagine. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great, Kayla? Wouldn't that be great? And then there's like, there's disorder. The, the place kind of goes into a kind of, um, it looks chaotic. The Holy Spirit's come on people and there's, there's manifestations of the Spirit on them. There's people moving about and reacting to what's happening. And then the people who are not believers, they, they think this crowd of people are, are drunk. You know, that's, it, it's, there's confusion. There's miraculous stuff going on and around this great power. And then Peter preaches. This is Peter, by the way, who denied Jesus three times, who deserted Jesus just before his death, who slashed the soldier's ear off and got a wee reprimand from Jesus. This guy gets up after having his mind opened by Jesus to understand the scriptures and be filled by the Holy Spirit. He preaches and 3,000 people believe and are baptized. You get this? This is, this is like incredible stuff. That's more people than they saw come to believe in Jesus in any time that Jesus was with them on earth. This is like, boom, they've done it. They've, they've got it all together. Peter's preached. He understands what he's saying and the power that, he's, that he, the power of his preaching and the power of the Spirit and his words brings 3,000 people to believe in Jesus and they're baptized. And then the apostles start to teach these new believers. They form a community and the church is born. The church comes into being. And in this moment, the, 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 the apostles are not just in super spiritual mode, they're going into practical mode because they're pulling people together, they're creating groups, they're bringing structure to this, these 3,000 new believers that have come to form the church. And in Acts 2, 42, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, that's not surprising if you've heard Peter preach and 3,000 people come to faith. They devote themselves to fellowship, to being together, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Everything that we've just described, all that whole story from the Last Supper to the church being born, you could have been forgiven for the disciples forgetting what seemed to be the most insignificant part of that story, which is Jesus breaking off some bread and sharing some wine. All of that story, that's the least miraculous. That's the most ordinary, the most routine, I would even say the most mundane thing that they saw. If they were going to forget something over that period of time, you would say that's the thing that we're going to forget. But I love the fact that we go through all that story from the Last Supper, all these extraordinary supernatural Holy Spirit events, and we land in the church, and it's just brackets, including the Lord's Supper. The disciples didn't forget. They didn't forget. Action-packed times of despair, grief, fear, violence, injustice, a time of miracles, 
resurrection, revelation of prophecies fulfilled, Holy Spirit power, salvation, new life, growth, and on and on and on and on. But they didn't forget that Jesus said, do this to remember me. And because they didn't forget, we don't forget. If the disciples had forgotten, that brackets, including the Lord's Supper, wouldn't be in there. But that small statement is one of the most significant words in our Bible because it's the very thing that Jesus said, do not forget this. Remember me. Because they didn't forget, we don't forget. We continue this remembrance of the death of Jesus and of the price that he paid in the same way that they did. Our communion, our Lord's Supper, is a brief, simple, apparently insignificant act that holds the church together. And it connects us to that Last Supper when the disciples shared a loaf of bread and some wine with Jesus. And it also connects us to that First Supper when the disciples and the 3,000 new believers shared bread and wine together for the first time. And why did they do that? To remember that it's all about him. That's why we do this. We do this thing with the bread and the juice because it doesn't matter. Or sorry, let me put it another way. Without Jesus, none of the other stuff matters. We do this to remember him. Jesus said to the disciples, Take this bread, this is my body broken for you. Drink this wine, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's why we do it. And in our lives, there are so many things that are important and so many things that go on in and around our lives, even things that we see and do in church. We've had an amazing time of worship this morning. I'm sure we're going to have some great ministry and prayer in a few minutes. We've certainly had that over the past few weeks. Amazing times in small group and kids' church and mainly music and youth and love Falkirk. We have all these things that take up our time and become important to us. And they are important and we want to be doing these things. But without Jesus, what's the point? Without Jesus, what's the point? And our communion, our sharing of the bread and of this wine, this juice, pulls us all back together to say this is what connects us to the history of the church. This is what connects us to these scriptures and this is what holds us together as believers in Jesus. Yeah? Yeah?